0: Hey guys, hope all is well. Today we will be doing podcast number nine with co-host John Hardafillis and special guest coach Ryan Blackwell. So John, why don't you get us started?
1: Sure thing Lee, coach Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. It's gonna be a lot of fun talking to you today. Um, Just as a a first question, we're curious about a little bit of of your background in coaching. Obviously, it's incredibly extensive. If you can tell our listeners a little bit about who you are.
2: So I started coaching after uh, I retired from playing, and uh, I was playing in Japan, and I think it was 2012. Uh, I, I retired, and the team that I played for in Osaka, um, Osaka Ivesa, uh, the GM and the management asked me to be the head coach, so I kind of just fell into it, I was thinking about going back to playing um, for another couple of years maybe, but my body was kind of starting to break down, so... I figured i transitioned into coaching. It was a great opportunity for me uh, to, to transition my career. And you know, it was great. I coached for four years professionally in Japan, two for Osaka, and then another two for another team in Tokyo. And then I uh, transitioned back to America, ended up at IMG Academy down in Florida for, for a year, and then took a job to coach a semi-pro team, which is now like the Syracuse uh, Stallions, um, of the ABA, but it was the Syracuse um, shockwave or something like that and, and never really got off the ground and ended up meeting the AD uh, at Liverpool, Ari Lieberman, through another former Syracuse uh, grad, Lazar Sims, and kind of been there ever since. This is this will be my seventh year coming up. So along with that and doing other things, uh, training players and, you know, coaching behind army, there's been a lot within the last, you know, nine or 10 years that I've done, which has been great.
0: That's awesome. And like following up with that, like what steps have you taken to get to where you are today? Like, even like when you played at Syracuse, like under coach Bayham, like what was that like? And like those steps, like after you graduate from Syracuse and like, get like, take us to get to where you are today with like Bayhams army. Yeah. Coaching that this summer. And yeah.
2: I just think that having a, you know, I've, I've, I've been very lucky to be able to travel the world um, because of basketball and being able to meet so many different people uh, and either play with great players or, or coach great players or be, you know, I've been coached by great players, Luke Henson at Illinois, Jim Beheim at Syracuse and a lot of great coaches around the world. Um, you know, I've taken those experiences and the knowledge that I've gained and incorporated that into my coaching style, you know, I have my own style, but I've I've taken a lot of bits and pieces from every coach on uh, every team that I've been on. And I think that's really helped me uh, to grow as a coach and been, and been better. And I was, I'm still trying to grow and get better. And like anything in a coach or in business, whatever, you want to continue to grow all the time. So I'm still trying to learn, you know, whether it's taking stuff from NBA coaches or current coaches now in the college level or even high school coaches. So um, it's been a long journey and I'm just very thankful and grateful that I've had those experiences that I can draw on and they've really helped me uh, to become who I am as a person and as a coach.
1: The, the super interesting stuff. So thinking about maybe when you had first gotten started and knew it to this whole coaching thing. I mean, mm-hmm. what was maybe the, the biggest takeaway from all those experiences that you, you, you can't, you know, when you started, you had no idea. But now it's really become something where you're like, right, this it's so important. That I learned this lesson to be able to uh, keep it going and add it to my coaching arsenal.
2: I think you really have to stick to who you are and, and really know and stick to your guns. Um, you know, I have a certain style and a certain approach and maybe. You know, I've learned things from Beheim, and not, that might not work for me. Or things that Lou Henson did one way. You know, I can't do those things because I'm not that person. And I have to stick to who I am, and go by my personality and stick to my guns. And I think that's one of the best things that I've learned. Um, I have a philosophy. I have a style, and it's unique to my, you know, to myself. And I think every coach is the same way. Beheim is not the same as Shostovsky, and Shostovsky is not the same as. You know, Bob Knight or Brad Stevens or whoever it may be, but they're all great in their own way. And I think that's one of the, the best things I've learned just to be who I am.
0: Yeah, that's awesome how you're like developing your own style and not like not like, doing similar, like with like Beheim and Coach K, all the others like making sure so you do like your own style and your own stuff. So I really like that. It's really cool. So transitioning into the next part of this podcast what things have you learned about the game of basketball and the coaching business during the COVID-19 pandemic
2: yeah I think we've all learned something um, just in general but the basketball side is really one don't take anything for granted and appreciate what you have and where you are at that time and you know I know people always want to take the next step and they want to move on in their career and I'll tell you that I really enjoyed the downtime, um, being with family and friends. And I think sometimes when you're so focused on things, uh, especially as a coach and a player, there's so much on your plate with a schedule that you forget to stop and and remember that, you know, to, to appreciate the little things. And so I think over this last year and a half, I've appreciated that. And then when we got back into it, when, you know, being with the TBT last year, being in the bubble, being back in the basketball, I realized how much I loved the game, um, and I missed it. And, uh, you know, being patient is one thing that I know everyone says it's a virtue. It's kind of a cliche, but it's true. But you've got to be patient. And I learned to be patient through this whole process through the last year and a half. Um, And I think a lot of people have as well.
0: Yeah, you touched on like being in the bubble last year for TVT. if you can go into detail about like what mm-hmm. your experiences were like being in the bubble last year,
2: yeah, that was crazy. Um, shout out to TVT because they did a really good job of making sure you know following protocols and and I think the NBA kind of followed their model a little bit or, or watching closely how they did it because we did it before they did. Uh, we were the first, really main sport to come back you know basketball wise so um you know once we got there we couldn't leave so if we you know once you tested you had to test every day um sometimes twice a day um and we had to stay in the hotel pretty much the whole time unless we were walking around the corner which is a block away to go play our games and we were right back in the hotel so it was definitely a, a strange experience, but it was a great bonding experience being with those guys in the bubble um, and going to the conference rooms and watching film and, you know, guys playing video games or cards or something like that. It was just great being around those guys and telling old stories and you know, because it was all pretty much Syracuse family. So that was a real unique experience. And, um, you know, we were just happy to be back playing basketball and doing something. And at that time, there was nothing else on TV. So you know, us being on ESPN and People getting a chance to watch basketball again and us being a part of that was just really a great experience.
0: Yeah, you were saying at one point, like about like everyone sharing their stories. Like, I know a lot of the Syracuse former players have been asked this before, but like, what is your favorite story of Coach Beheim?
2: <laughs> you know, there's so many. Um, you know, he's got so many. You know, it's funny to listen to those guys like and Waiters and you know, talked about when he didn't want to practice, uh, Michael Carter-Williams and all these other guys, and Deven Dorf. It's just really fun um, to listen to those stories. And some of the funniest are, are ones that hadn't been told on a podcast or anything like Derek Coleman's told, and Billy Owens have told me some, some great stories from back in the day when, you know, back like in the 80s when Syracuse basketball was really – um really getting going with those guys and they were putting Syracuse on the map helping to put Syracuse on the map so honestly I can't pinpoint one specific story uh but I will say that Derek Coleman and Billy told me this one time that something happened coach was yelling at them in the in Manly back in the day when they used to practice in Manley Fieldhouse and uh there was like a pole vault uh you know track used to kind of work out in practice in there as well so there's a track they went around um, the court and uh, there was like a, a high jump, or pole vault little platform there with a, with a pet, with a, uh, I don't know what it was, but they, they just said they had enough of him yelling at them. So they both grabbed him one by his hands, one by the legs. And they, they threw him over the high jump uh, plank. And he fell onto the mat and fell onto the ground. He got up his glasses had fallen off and, he got him. He looked at them. He goes, you guys are crazy as shit. <laughs> and I mean, we they had us laughing. You'd have to be there to have them tell the story because Derek Coleman and Billy Owens tells a story. It's, you know, for me to tell, it doesn't do any justice. But that was one of the funniest ones that I had heard. That's such
0: a cool cool story. Like when you were saying that, was like laughing because it was like just amazing. Like you guys were in Miami when you played. Play there like for practices and like now we're at the mellow center so it's like different like with the store with the stories like everyone has their own stories which is amazing so john why don't you get us to the next section of the podcast
1: 100 percent. and those stories were really incredible thinking about the great coaches or teams that you've been, been a part of or experiences you've had in the past i'm kind of curious too about maybe uh, who the best player is that maybe you've gone up against either as a player or as a coach and maybe what you took from that experience
2: so as a player, you know, and I graduated in 1995 and um, I was, you know, pretty high, pretty highly touted coming out. So I was, you know, in the Magic Johnson Roundball classic. I was actually co-MVP with Robert Taylor back in the day and, you know, I was consistently ranked top 15 or whatever across the board. So I ended up playing against like Kevin Garnett, you know, Maulbury, Paul Pierce, um, Shreve Abdul Rahim, Vince Carter. Um, that was our era in high school, which was really great. And Kobe Bryant, AU tournaments and, and uh, the Adidas camp, which was always prestigious. And so from high school level, that was great. That was always great talent. And then obviously being in the Big East, um, you know, playing against Richard Hamilton and Ron Artest. And, you know, you can just go on down the line. There were so many great players and talented players that I've gone up against. And it just really shows you what you need to do to be at that level because there's so many great players. And as a high school coach, I try to tell my guys that you may think you're working hard, but there's so many other guys that are so much better than you and working so much harder than you. Um, that There's only a little bit of room for error. And if you're not really willing to work hard, that somebody's going to take your spot. And I just think I really enjoyed going, to get, going up against those guys from the high school level and the college and, and the pros. I coached against uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Roof who was formerly Chris Jackson. I was to play for LSU, played in the NBA for a long time. Um, but he was in the later set, you know, parts of his career. He was like 38, 39, but he was still really good. Um, you can tell that he was one of those guys that religiously just worked at his craft. Um, but overall, I think Michael Jordan, you know, playing, even just playing pickup against him. And I was in a commercial with him 20 years ago. Um, and we had to play five on five and, this was right before he came back to play against uh, – or play with the Wizards um, before he retired Before he retired for the second time. And he was just really good. You could just tell he was on a different level. Um, so if I had to just pick anybody, it would definitely be him. It's the best player I've ever played against.
0: That's a very cool how you play with, like, Michael Jordan and, like, Kobe Bryant. Those are, like, two of the greatest players of all time yeah. in the league. And, like – now shifting over to the coaching side it's like what is your coaching philosophy
2: you know i just try to keep the game simple and try to coach you know one of the best things i learned from coaches uh he tries he doesn't try to do anything out of the ordinary he pretty much just stayed the same from the time that i played and when i go back to practices now it's pretty much standard and what his philosophy and his approach to the game and how he coaches his players has been consistent and I try to be the same way um players just really need to work hard and work on their skill set um regardless of what it is And I think in today's game there's a lost art of basically the fundamentals uh so guys are trying to do you know crossover step backs before they can even make a left hand layup so I really just try to implement the fundamentals and pound that into these guys you got to learn the fundamentals of basketball learn how to pass learn how to post entry learn how to box out I think it's those little things that I try to teach um, that really make the difference going forward
1: Definitely super important to to make sure you hammer those in but and 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 that that kind of granny philosophy what are maybe the standards that you hold your players to in order to build a championship caliber team
2: I think the first thing is um, they have to be unselfish. They have to be willing to sacrifice, you know, hard work is hard work, but, you know, if we have guys that are individuals only care about themselves and about their stats and, you know, who's watching them and how many, you know, highlights they can get. um, Then we're never going to win. And, you know, we've had a lot of success at Liverpool because kids have bought in, they've listened, they've obviously respected me and respected where I've come from and being you know, a player that played at Syracuse helps. And, and I really think it's just, they have to buy into the team first concept. And, and we've been lucky for the most part. And that's why we won a championship at Liverpool a couple of years ago, because we had some division one talent, but they were also great leaders. They were hard workers, great listeners, and, and just bought into doing the little things and being a team first, you know, type of uh, attitude and team.
0: that's awesome and like i know you've probably been pretty excited for tv TB, for tbt this summer so like if you can give us a pre any preview on who we should expect to see on Bayham's army this summer
2: well i know that you know adam whitesman i'm sure he's heard is involved so he's which is great for us um having him and you know he's putting up some of his own money because he really wants us to win and You know, obviously he loves the community, loves Syracuse, and we all obviously want to do well. Uh, When the TVT comes around, Bayheims Army is a great thing for the summer and for the community. So it's hard to say. I just know that we're we're going outside the box more than ever to get some players. Uh, I can't really disclose who's going to be on the roster because, you know, Bellby hasn't put that out yet. But, you know, it's possible that Tyler Lydon maybe or Chris McCullough, you might be able to see them possibly uh, with some other names. I know Ty's battles has been contacted and he was considering it, but I'm not sure what he's going to do. So it'll be a lot of fresh faces. I think this year on the Bayhimes army that people will definitely uh, welcome the change and they will be excited about.
0: How do you look at the competition for this year? Like this is going to be a much bigger field than it was last year. So like, how you can go about like this, this year's competition compared to last year?
2: I think for us, it's really about the guys coming in early on uh, the training camp and really focusing and putting forth the effort in training camp because what I've seen in the last couple of years, the teams that have won, um, you know, the overseas elite won four years in a row, and then Carmen's crew with Ohio State and then the Marquette team—they all kind of have the same DNA and same approach. It's really just blue collar. Um, they get to training camp early, like at least a week, and they go hard. Um, they really kind of build that chemistry and bond, and they're really committed to just winning. And They have like blue-collar type mentality and attitude, and, and that's why they've had a success. And I think that if we can do that on, on our end, we have the talent to do it, but our approach has got to be that same type of mentality because um, it's not going to be easy who you play against because there are a lot of great players, former NBA guys and guys that are high level playing overseas and just a lot of big names. You know, Joe Johnson played last year and he saw how good he was. Um, so we're just going to have to be ready. But it's really about committing to the training camp and practice and and, and that attitude and mentality.
0: Like this year will be a little bit similar, similar to last year in the way how you guys are not going to be playing a game on on in the Syracuse area. So, like, yeah. how does that impact, like, you guys, like, with now fans coming back for TBT this summer, so, like, what, like, can you guys do, like, to prepare for that crowd again? Like, not playing and not mm-hmm. having the home court advantage. Like, if you can go into depth about that, like, how you can go about that?
2: It's unfortunate that they're not bringing it back this year. I know the fans really loved it. I loved being here two years ago um, and playing in front of the, the home crowd, 3,000, 4,000 people, you know, at OCC Arena, but You know, I think these guys, they're all professionals and they've been around for so long. And and obviously they played again this year. So they got a a feel again of how it was, wherever they played, where Russia, Korea, wherever it may be. So I think they had fans back for the most part. So I think they kind of got a feel for that. And, you know, these guys are competitors. They're ready to play. They're hungry. And I think they're used to it, especially on the Syracuse guys. When they were used to playing in front of 35,000 people, at the Carrier Dome, um, they're definitely probably excited just to be in front of, of anybody, doesn't matter where it is, um, around the country.
0: That's great, and I'm really excited to, to see who you will have on the roster this summer and to watch TBT, because I know this will be in a, a very exciting tournament. And most importantly, it was great having you on this podcast. It was great listening to what you had to say All the information was amazing. And thank you so much to everyone for tuning in and have a great day.